Hey, this is Randy Gage, and you're listening to the Power Prosperity Podcast. Hey, what's up, podcast peeps? Randy Gage here with a very special edition of the Power Prosperity Podcast. Uh, one I'm gonna I'm gonna have to work really hard not to be a fanboy just because this is one of the shows where I have brought on a guest just to kind of uh, do a deep dive into the principles they think about success and prosperity and creativity and their routines and, and, and what drives them. Uh, and this person today is uh, one of my heroes. He's a writer's writer. Uh, I think he's the greatest American writer right now. Uh, his debut novel was the bag, the legend of Bagger Vance. Uh, he's done so many, uh, successful books, whether it's, uh, uh, killing Rommel, which was crazy out of the box, gates of fire, tides of war, uh, another real, the and then nonfiction stuff that writers like me for the, the war of art and, uh, and you know the authentic swing and let me put in my uh, little disclaimer this is you know this is a family-friendly podcast usually but not always I'm gonna say up front this one probably might have some adult language so uh, you may want to make sure you're in the the earphones not around little children because I'm with the legendary Stephen Pressfield, if you haven't figured out by now with those books. Um, so welcome to the podcast, Steve. Oh, thank you, Randy. It's a pretty glowing introduction. I hope we can make it worth our listeners' time. Yeah, and I, you know where I think I want to start? Uh, your debut novel, The Legend of Bagger Vance, gets adopted into a movie. Uh, Robert Redford directs it. Matt Damon, Will Smith, Charlize Theron. I mean, so I'm sure anybody who hears that say, oh my God, what a lucky guy. He, the, the first book he ever wrote is instant success. It, everything was perfect for this guy. Never struggled in his life. <laughs> what, what would you tell people who have that conception. <laughs> well, that is the way sort of instant success happens. It's take, it was took about 30 years, actually. I think I was like 50, 50 years old, at least when that, when that book sold. And that's really, you know, the culmination of like 30 years of failure and wandering in the wilderness and all that kind of thing. Uh, so by no means was it instant success. Yeah, it's, um, and a lot of Steve's books, if you haven't read the, the no, there's one called Nobody Wants to Read Your Shit, The Authentic Swing, The uh, Artist's Journey, but particularly The War of Art, Do the Work, Turning Pro. I mean, these are all books that speak to, so I, I of course, uh, am so attracted to your work because I'm a writer and I'm an entrepreneur and both of those things are artists. And um, your nonfiction really speaks to that. 
Um, but interested, you know, share some of the jobs you that's the stuff you did along the way to, to pay the bills when you you were working on this dream to be a writer. Well, I certainly I sort of fell into a kind of a an all you know across America type of thing. I worked on offshore oil rigs and I drove trucks and I picked fruit and taught school and did all that kind of thing. But I sort of, my first job was actually as a copywriter in advertising in New York. And that was kind of, I would keep coming back to that, you know, save my money, quit, come back again, you know, in despair after a book I'd written, couldn't find a publisher and then save my money again and quit again. So I, I, I did a lot of, you know, uh, blue collar kind of jobs around the country, various states. But the main job that I, that I did was working in advertising until I came out to Los Angeles and had about a 10 year C level uh, screenwriting career. Um, but all of them were kind of, stations on the way to, to learning the craft and, and, and um, just living life, you know, that acquiring experience that you need. It was, when did you know that you wanted to be a writer? Uh, that's a great question. <laughs> I mean, I never thought of it as a kid. I wasn't one of those people that, you know, wrote short stories for English class or anything like that. But I, my first job was uh, as a, a junior copywriter at an ad agency in New York, Benton and Bowles. And um, I just wanted to be kind of an, you know, a madman, you know, and I, I had a boss named Ed Hannibal who quit and wrote a novel called Chocolate Days, Popsicle Weeks. You can look it up if you want to. And it wow. was a hit. What and a title. And it was a hit. And all of a sudden, you know, he was a star. And so I was, I don't know what, 22 years old or 20, something like that. And I thought, well, shit, I'll do that too. How hard can it be? So, yeah. uh, so that was kind of, you know, that was sort of, uh, you know, like saying to yourself, well, let me just take, you know, LSD and just see what that does for me. You know? mm -hmm. So it was, I had no business at all doing that as most people um, don't have any business doing that, you know, uh, with no experience, but uh so that was kind of how it, it all began. And then I was just in over my head, Randy, and I just was trying to just get out of that hole somehow. That was like the next 30 years. I think the thing that saved you was the same thing that saved me because I started as a copywriter as well. And Oh, I didn't know that. Huh? Yeah. And, you know, that was the direct response days. You did the mailing and you tested and tracked and you knew if the headline worked or it didn't work. And you run these A-B split tests. And uh, it, it wasn't this, well, it's, you know, good for the brand or we think we're burnishing the image of the company, uh, you know, we, it, at least in the work I was doing was much uh -huh. more direct marketing. They were like, listen, we're selling these, you know, cassette albums or DVDs or books or seminars or whatever they were. And, hey, we mailed 50,000 pieces and we sold 117 at this amount. This is what we spent for the printing and the postage and the mailing and the copywriting. And here, you know, and you tested and tracked everything. And if you, if your copy didn't work, you knew it and you knew I need, you know, you had to get better. Well, I, I certainly can remember right doing, you know, this was something that really helped, I think, as a writer is, um, 
I was writing TV commercials a lot of the time. And of course, most of them are, are 30 second spots. And in a 30 second commercial, you have to have like a maximum of 60 words, absolute max. And it should be less than that, you know, to give the announcer time to, to, to breathe a little bit. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't know how many pieces of copy I wrote that was like, you know, 10 times that long. And we get sent back to my little cubicle, you know, cut it, cut it, cut it, cut it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was great. That was a great learning experience. Yeah, I, I, when when you deal with those kind of formats, like I, you know, I just I love the uh, direct mail and I love the internet because you could you know I've always felt that you write copy can never be too long; it can only be too boring. Mm -hmm. And if I'm doing something like one of my ten thousand dollar a person boot camps. I would do a 42 page sales letter. Uh huh. Yeah. And people would say, nobody would read a 42, but they did if they were a qualified candidate for uh -huh. that. Because if you're reading something that's speaking to your problems, your challenges, the thing that's keeping you up at 3 a.m., you'll read War and Peace, right? And you, yeah. can't, you can't stop flipping the pages. But if you're, you know, if it's an ad about boats and you don't care about boats, you're not going to read two words. So the, the, I love the internet and the, and the, the direct mail for that. But yeah, when you're doing these radio and TV and stuff that you have that finite 30 seconds or 60 seconds, that's, you got to really, really get good quickly. Let's talk about your new book because uh, I had to put a review on Amazon and I said, and thank you for, thank you for that, Randy. Was that really helped? <laughs> I said, if Agatha Christie and Robert Ludlum had a child together, that child would grow up and write this book. <laughs> uh, and for you, it's a, it's another zig in the zigzag, uh, journey through genres that you've been doing. So kind of how did it come about? What made you choose that? You know, how's it going so far? Well, I'll give you the, uh, for, for your listeners and everybody, I'll give you like the 30 second uh, elevator, elevator pitch for this book so that we know what it's about. The book is called 36 Righteous Men. And when I try to explain it to anybody, I, I say, have you ever heard of the Jewish legend of the 36 righteous men? And everybody, of course, says no. So I explain that um, it goes back sort of to the time of Noah when God decided to destroy the human race because we were so evil and he regretted that he had made us. And, of course, the race survived because of Noah and the ark. But since then, according to the legend, God has made a deal with the human race that so long as there are 36 righteous men alive at any one time on the planet, he will not destroy the human race again. So I just got to thinking, once I heard of that thing, I thought, well, what if somebody started murdering the 36 righteous men one by one? And uh, so that was kind of the concept for the story. And it's a, it's a uh, police procedural and it, with a, that becomes a supernatural thriller where somebody is murdering the 36 righteous men to bring about the end of the world. And, uh, 
an Irish Catholic homicide detective and his assistant, a female assistant, are assigned to the case. And it becomes a kind of a, as you know, sort of a cross between the French connection and the exorcist. Uh, a police procedural with a supernatural uh, quality to it. God, you know, when uh, a book that we both adore is the Save the Cat series. Yeah, yeah, I love Save uh, the Cat. Yeah, and he's always was talking about that. It's kind of like, uh, you know, Jaws meets Star Trek, meets, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Little yeah. House on the Prairie, <laughs> you know, just crazy yeah. shit. And that's that's what your, your new book is. They, It's really... Uh, and like I said on my blog, I mean, for you guys listening, you just, you need to uh, send your credit card to Jeff Bezos over at Amazon and just say, listen, auto, auto ship me everything Steve writes forever. Just whenever he's got a book coming out of any genre, just send it to me. Um, Cause that's kind of my, you know, I just automatically buy everything. And, and I think you, and I know you talked about it in a video I saw when, uh, when this book first, first was coming out about the challenge of that I face. And uh, the only other guy I think who's similar to us is Ryan Holiday uh, of writing in really different genres. Like I read Holiday's earliest stuff, uh, uh, you know, how to write a timeless book and the one about the, the advertising one, uh, what was it? Uh, Trust Me, I'm Lying. Trust Me, I'm Lying, yeah. Yeah, I'm actually um, gonna see Ryan next week in about a few days. I'm going to Texas to spend a day with him. Oh, good. So I'm a, I'm a huge fan of his stuff. Yeah, I yeah, am too. Like and those, a, those last three on stoicism, particularly the last one, really spoke to me. Uh, and so he's kind of in the, you know, mess we are, which is, so you get this cadre of fans in fiction and then you write some nonfiction or they're the, the people who love your nonfiction and then you're writing stuff like yes. 36 yes. Righteous Men. Yes, how are you? A how are you? <laughs> you know, it really is because like, uh, my, my books about writing, The War of Art, and those others that you, uh, that you cited, they, they definitely have a following out there, uh, you know, of people who are aspiring writers and entrepreneurs and creative people, actors and photographers and dancers and stuff like that. But then I have my novels that are, a lot of them are historical fiction and a lot of them are kind of military themed, as you know. And I can't make I can't make those got the, the War of Art people buy. I can't sell them one copy of any of my other stuff. And vice really? versa, the people who like, you know, Gates of Fire or Tides of War or something like that, they have no interest whatsoever in the other stuff. So, and then this book, 36 Righteous Men, being a police procedural. Here, let me hang up that phone. It's a whole other genre. So the, the, the issue would really, how do I get people to follow me from one to another? And I really haven't figured out how to do it. Um, but as I'm sure you know, Randy, I'm, I'm a believer in the muse. And I believe that when you know, the muse kind of assigns you whatever the next book is gonna be, and it might not be in the same genre that people know you from writing before. And, for me, I just, I have to be hooked on something. I have to love it. 
And if the muse gives me something that I love, then I'm, I got to do it, even if it's not in a genre that people, you know, would associate with me. So it's a problem. I haven't figured out how to, how to do anything about it. Now, I could get that the fiction fans don't want the writing, the nonfiction stuff. The reverse of that shocks me, though. I would think anybody who's read your writing work would say, okay, so now he wrote uh, a uh, apocalyptic thriller. I'm going to read that because this is a master class. It's going to be a master class in how to write a thriller. Or I'm going to read the, the, you know, Bagger Vance because that's a master class of, you know, something that could be turned into a screenplay. That's, that's shocking to me that um, the, the, the writers don't dive into everything else because that's... Well, <laughs> now we're, kind now of a, it's not you just saying, hey, here's how you to construct a story or here's where you, here's how you set up the inciting incident or here's where the, the change happens that transforms the protagonist. You're, I mean, you're doing it. <laughs> That's crazy to me. Well, I have a kind of a dark explanation for it or my dark theory about it. I think that, you know, writers and artists in general are competitive. And mm -hmm. I think that a lot of people that's, that, that may follow me and be happy to read about books about writing when, when you know, I don't know if they want to give me $26.75 to read something on the other side. I think they'd rather, they'd rather just stay. That's kind of a dark explanation, I know. But uh, people, um, you know, people are competitive. And sometimes they're competitive with you and with me. Well, uh, I mean, I can believe that. Um, it troubles me as a guy who wrote five books about prosperity and coming from prosperity consciousness instead of poverty consciousness. Yeah. But yeah. I, I do know that exists out there. So, yeah, that's... Um, Maybe yeah. I'm wrong. Maybe there's a, much, there's a simpler explanation. Maybe I'm just a bad marketer. But uh, and in any event, it, it, is a, it is an issue that I haven't been able to figure out. I've been trying to, trying well, to you're, figure out you're, that crossover me, let, for quite a while. Let me interrupt. You're not a bad marketer. You're the worst fucking marketer <laughs> on the planet Earth. <laughs> well, that's true. I won't, I won't argue with you on that, Randy. You know, just, it's like when, not the 36 Righteous Men, I'm trying, what was the book before that, the last one? Um, the Lion's Gate, is that okay. the one you're referring to? So I think to? it was Lion's Gate. Uh, you know, so of course I pre-ordered it. You know, you get it the day of or the day before Amazon and, and you've got a Twitter account. I know you don't do it. You've got your Sean or somebody who's doing that. Um, but I'm like, so, so I get your Twitter feed and I'm like, he has a new book out and he doesn't even put a goddamn tweet. <laughs> not, you know, not even, oh, by the way, you know, Gates of Fire is out today, you know, if you want to buy it. <laughs> Whereas, you know, I don't know how you do it. Because when I'm, when I send my proposal to the publishers, they're like, okay, what is your campaign for how you're going to market this book? You know, what's your social media reach? Are you doing blogs? Are you doing book tours? Are you going to hire a publicist? Are you going to do blogs? You know, <laughs> and I'm like, this guy, this, so is that a, 
is that just a, hey, I just want to make my art and I don't have time to do that unseemly marketing shit or just you're overwhelmed by the idea of marketing or, you know, what's, what's the... No, believe it or not, Randy, I'm I'm sort of (laughs) trying to do it, you know? The original concept for, you know, I have a blog that's, you know, stephenpressfield.com, and I do, it's a writing blog, and uh, um, I do, you know, a a post every Wednesday about writing, and I've done like 500 of those things, and I'm constantly, you know, getting stuff out there on that. So I thought, well, I did that, you know, like starting nine years ago, hoping that would be a marketing thing. But like I say, I can't, I can't get people to cross over from the writing books to the other books. But you'll be happy to know, Randy, I've got a new book coming in about a year. And I'm already, you know, I'm, I'm going to get with the program. In fact, I'll be <laughs> back, to, you know, talking with you for sure, if you'll have me, <laughs> as much as I can. But I'm, I'm, I'm kind of planning, I'm, I'm trying to get, you know, into the 21st century. <laughs> so... But you're right. I am the worst marketer ever. I just uh, just haven't been able to get with the program. Yeah, and it's true. You, I will give you credit for the on the the writing Wednesdays blog you have. At least there, you'll you'll mention when you got stuff coming up. Yeah. So a funny thing, I was looking at Amazon, um, your author page. Well, actually, I don't think you have an author page. I think. Um, you you got to yell at your publisher and say, why don't you have an, uh, Steve, well, maybe this is, I can't tell if it's just the page listing your books or if it's the, yeah, maybe it is the author page. But it was talking about some of the things you've done. And so for those of you guys who don't know, Stephen is, he wrote this amazing uh, quote for my Mad Genius book. You won't remember this, but this is what you wrote. This is one of the messiest books I've ever read. (laughs) I do remember. (laughs) I mean that in the best possible sense. Randy Gage takes us on Mr. Toad's wild ride. I was hanging on for dear life, dot, dot, dot. It's a mad, mad, mad world inside Randy Gage's head. And I'm glad I took the trip. And so I loved that quote, of course, until today. <laughs> I was reading your Amazon page and it, it was talking about your jobs. And then it said you were an attendant in a mental hospital. <laughs> so now I'm a little worried about that diagnosis you might have given me. <laughs> the, you know, a backstory for the, also for you listeners, so Steve and I were going to do this, uh, I don't know, a couple months ago. And then he had to postpone and then had to postpone again. And so one time it was uh, his girlfriend had broken her wrist. Another time it was a uh, traffic accident. Somebody died. It was fatality. Yeah, yeah. And so I thought to myself, and I'm just confessing this to you now, I'm not even going to ask him to reschedule. I think he's manifesting this stuff because he hates to promote his books. <laughs> and you know, there a- may have been a little bit of that, but it was all true. You know, I mean, those two events really happened. It really screwed things up there for a couple of weeks. 
And then I felt like I didn't want to take advantage of you, Randy. And I thought, you know, uh, Randy was ready to do it, and now we postponed it, and da 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 da. But in any event, we we did get this together, number three on the third try. Yeah, and I, but I'm just to share with you. I I said I'm not going to ask him again because I'm afraid he's going to manifest and extinction level event (laughs) you know because he's he's just because i was really kind of inferring in that i i just like a lot of actors a lot of artists in many ways i know even me as a as an author i just you know i i if i didn't write books i would not be on facebook twitter youtube nothing right i would just i'm the most private person in the world but I just kind of have recognized, okay, in today's world, if I want people to access my work, I have to take a percentage of my day and dedicate it to promoting the work. Yeah, I think it is true. And uh, I'm sort of coming to that realization, Randy, where I I do feel like now I got to have a certain, you know, an hour or two a day to do something, you know, that, that gets awareness out there into the universe somehow. It's interesting you pick that figure because what I have come to is like I worked t- pretty much, I have a 12 hour day. I like to get up at five or 5.30 uh, and I like to work until five or six. And I, you know, I do cardio first in the meantime and I do a resistance workout in the meantime and I do lunch and a snack. So I have breaks. I don't work for uh-huh. 12 hours, uh-huh. but it's like a 12-hour day. And then, you know, 6.30, 6, 6.30, whatever, I'm done, and then I can do what the real people do. And so mm-hmm. my goal is I want 20%, I'll dedicate 20% of that time to promotion, and then the rest of the time I want to be creating. And I think every artist has to, like when I first started out, it was probably the other way around. I mean, I would take 80% of my day trying to get my name out there, trying to get my website out there, trying to get my 800 number out there um, because nobody had ever heard of me. And then as you develop your audience, your tribe, you're able to dial back on that. And so like, that's where I'm at now is like 20%, 80%. And I think every artist today, you've got to you got to be mindful, do some critical thinking and, and figure out what is the ratio for you. Cause that's, that's kind of the reality of the world we live in today. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right, Randy. It's not, it certainly isn't the reality that Hemingway lived with, you know, or Scott Fitzgerald or Tony Morris or anybody like that. But, uh, you know, in the writing world, but, uh, it is reality. I remember, you know, my first book was the legend of bagger Vance. And that went out there and was sold as a movie like within two weeks. And, uh, and after that, I did uh, Gates of Fire. This was like back 95, 97, 98. Mm-hmm. And uh, Gates of Fire had not one, but two reviews in the New York Times, including like a rave on a Sunday. Mm. And so I thought that was the world. Oh, you know, you publish a book and people... You know, <laughs> And then, you know, reality kind of hit when that was pre-Amazon, you know, and that was back in the days when uh, every newspaper in the country had a book review section, you know, Mm -hmm. and little by little, I remember reading a list of all of the newspapers across the country that have stopped doing book reviews, and it's practically every paper except the New York Times. 
So for a writer, around the year 2000, everything changed. And it was very clear that if you published a book, even with the mainstream press, the biggest one you can imagine, um, you know, it was very possible that nobody was going to know it was even out there. And then you sort of had to figure, well, how can I possibly promote myself or get, just get awareness, you know, just get people to know that. And it's something I'm still wrestling with as, as you know, you know, so I think you're right. I'm having, I'm coming right to about to what you said, where maybe 20% of the day is going to have to be devoted one way or another to uh, promotion. It's, it's kind of a pain in the butt, but it's reality. It's reality. Yeah. People, the, the day, you know, the back in the advertising day, I'm sure we both are, you know, build a better mousetrap. The world's going to beat a path. Yeah. Through. Yeah. That is not true anymore. You can build a better mousetrap, but somebody's going to knock it off in China, sell it on Amazon, and you're going to be starving in the street if you don't promote it. It's just the way it is. Yeah. What is, uh, so what's your favorite books? What, you got three or four that you just, you know, impacted you and, and, you, and, and, and you impacted your life in a meaningful way? Well, it's, I, I certainly do, but it's a question. <laughs> you got to guide me a little bit, Randy. I can do stuff that I really love that nobody is ever going to be interested in because it's so deep and so obscure. Or That's could, all right. My people, my people would love that. They want to know the real Steve. Well, one, okay, here you go. I mean, one of my favorite, and I think one of the greatest books ever written, is Thucydides' History of the Peloponnesian War. See, I told you that's what I was going to say. <laughs> and, uh, but, I mean, and people I know would shake their head when they hear that. It's incredible. I don't know. Have you read it by any chance, Randy? No, I haven't. Well, believe me, you're not alone. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's just a, a really thick, really deep book about this uh, war between Athens and Sparta that lasted 27 years and was sort of like World War III back in that day and has tremendous resonance with what's going on today mm -hmm. and politically and that sort of stuff. But just in terms of... Do you want me to get a little deeper into this, Randy, or by boring sure. that? No, my, uh, my, I know my people love this stuff. Here's, here's what I love about this book. It was pre-Christian, pre-Freudian, pre-communist, pre-fascist, um, uh, pre-every, you know, we, wow, since, yeah. since uh, the days of, of Christianity, there have been many um, philosophies and religions and ways of looking at the world, including psychotherapy, including communism that talked about, you know, the withering away of the state and blah, 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 where the sort of the overall takeaway is, is the religion or whatever it says to you, if you can only change yourself to do, to be this way, right? Achieve enlightenment or, you know, live a Christian life or, uh, you know, uh, live in the communist workers' paradise, that then the world is going to be fine. The human race is perfectible, which I think is a bunch of bullshit. Mm -hmm. And so when you go back to a book like Thucydides from the ancient Greek world, you know, from mm -hmm. around 400 BC, he was before all that. And the Greek gods 
were, as you know, flawed, very human characters that had jealousy and, you know, murdered each other, blah, 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 murdered people. And so when he looked at the kind of the horrors of this war that was sort of the equivalent of World War II in that era, he looked at it with a totally straight, this is human nature is dark, human nature is flawed, uh, you know, um, and it's, it, oddly enough, it's very refreshing to read that because there's no bullshit to it, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, it's not trying to sell you on something on some way that if only we could change this or change that, or we could have, you know, universal health care, Medicare for all, free college, whatever that, you know, whatever the latest promise is, mm-hmm. he doesn't make any promises. He just kind of tells it like it is. And, and it, so it's, it's very refreshing to read that. So that's one, one book. Uh, but let me, I'll give you a couple of others that are a little closer to home and then you can cut me off. <laughs> One of my favorites is a, is a, a novel called The Moviegoer by Walker Percy. Have, have you ever heard of this one, Randy? No. It's a, uh, it won the National Book Award for Fiction, I think, in 1963. And here's my little story with it. it it's set in New Orleans, and it's, a, it's just a very wry, funny book. And I used to live in New Orleans, and a friend of mine gave that book to me and said, oh, you love New Orleans? Here, read this. So I read it and it went completely over my head. I just said, I don't get it. This is the dumbest book I ever read. And then like 10 years later, I was having dinner with uh, my mentor, David Lettick in New York, who I really respect his judgment in anything. And I said, David, what's your favorite book? And he said, The Moviegoer. I said, what? He said, no, I read that book. It was nothing. And so I read it again and this time I got it. And you know, I've loved it ever since. It's just, uh, I, there's no way to sell it. It's too subtle. It's too nuanced. But it's just a, it's a wonderful book. And um, I'll give you one more and then I'll stop. All right. Another one, this one people actually have heard of is uh, uh, The Sun Also Rises by Ernest Hemingway. Oh, yeah. Which is, uh, that one I'm sure you've read. But I won't yeah. ask. But I did, absolutely. He's just, the, the, the author's voice, the writer's voice he has is, I mean, yeah. Legend. It's just no one in, in the world has ever had that before or since. And he's, he's really, in this book, he's really got it. It's sort of the post-World War I, uh, what Gertrude Stein called the lost generation. Uh, and it's amazing that it's almost 100 years old. But when you read the conversations that are going on over the dinner table and wherever they are at bullfights or something, they seem totally current I mean, obviously the, the idiom is different, mm-hmm. but the people seem hip. And as you're reading it, you, you say to yourself, man, I wish I was there, you know, with these people. So of course, at the same time, of course, it's a very, very dark, dark book, but yeah. I love dark books. So anyway, that's, that's another one of my favorites. The Sun Also Rises by Ernest Hemingway. Love I'll it. stop right there before I put everybody in your audience to sleep. <laughs> All right. So what about, who is Steve, who are Stephen Pressfield's heroes, living or dead? Other than you, uh, <laughs> very few. No, let me let me let me go back up one uh, one beat to do a little self promotion. You're you're asking me about what are my favorite books on Instagram right now. I'm doing kind of a little video series where I talk about books on leadership and mostly 
sort of military themed stuff. So if anybody wants to see that, I'm doing like these little 60 second things. And one of them will be about uh, Thucydides book that I was quoting. I um, didn't uh, see, I follow you on Twitter and whatever, but I didn't know yeah, you. I don't do anything Instagram. on Twitter, but I am doing this thing on Instagram. All right. So I just followed you. All right. So it's Stephen underscore, that's Stephen with a V guys. And I'll put this in the show notes, but it's Stephen underscore Pressfield. Yeah, good. Thanks for, thanks for being hip to that, Randy. I would be clueless to that. <laughs> so, all right. So what, tell them what you're doing on there with this series. Um, it's just for fun. And just my girlfriend, you know, takes, uh, you know, on an iPhone, just does a, mm -hmm. a, uh, uh, you know, a 60 minute thing. And I just talk about the books that I love. And I, and I kind of realized that um, actually a lot of the people who are following me on Instagram are military people. You know, I guess they like, they respond to gates of fire and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. And so a, a bunch, I've gotten a bunch of questions, you know, like what, like you just said, what do you read? What do you like? And um, so I just figured out, I'll, I'll just do that. You know, there's nothing in it for me. I don't make any money, but uh they're these books that I that I love, and and I think you know you don't think that people will like some of these crazy books, but they do. So anyway, I'm just kind of doing it for fun. Good for you. Good for you. And talk about the uh, I get a, this um, series from you of the little book that you're doing through the Black Irish thing, and then now you've started this year. You've started doing uh, like video chats with it where people can ask you questions. Uh, tell them about that and where they can get that. The people who are really, especially for, I got a lot of writers who follow this. So. Ah. Oh, thanks for asking that, Randy. You know, I'll get a chance to self-promote here. Yes, please. We, uh, uh, with my partner, Sean Coyne, and with Tim Grawl, who's a great book marketer, we have this little publishing company called Black Irish Books. And the books are all about writing or about the artist's life, you know, for actors or photographers or filmmakers. And, but it's mainly on the subject of resistance with a capital R and kind of the inner struggle of, of the artist against their own worst instincts, against their own instincts of, of self-sabotage. And um, so we, we decided to do this thing where we do, we, we publish little mini books that are maybe 40, pages long, and we do it by subscription. You get one a month, and they're called Black Irish Jabs, J-A-B, because our, um, our logo is a boxing glove. And so this is just like a little short punch. And each one of these little books is just on one subject that a writer or an artist will have to deal with. For instance, three-act structure, or the inciting incident, or and some of them are, are about uh, aspects of professionalism and how to, you know, how to, how to say no, learning how to say no, that kind of thing. So they're called Black Irish Jabs. And uh, if you go to blackirishbooks.com, you'll, you'll see them. Yeah. And I recommend them strongly. I've, I've got them all ever since you started it a few years ago. Uh, and I'm just kind of stockpiling them because my, <laughs> Like you, I've got my neurotic uh, identity, and I my next. I, I'm finishing my 14th book right now, which is on. Wow! Actually, I take my hat off to you, Randy. That's great. 14 books. Wow. 
you do that in like two years, get out of here. So, but, so this 14th one is called Radical Rebirth, and it's about how to reinvent yourself, right? It's back in the self-development uh, oh, stuff. So that's but, good. I'd like to read it myself. Well, you'll be the first one I'll send it to looking for a quote, believe me, because <laughs> really, this is my passion stuff, right? Um, but so that, and then when that's finished, and I'm literally like, uh, I think two weeks away from finishing it, I plan to do a sci-fi trilogy. Wow. Know, like the Matrix or uh, you know, Lord you, you, of the never Rings. Done anything like that before, Nothing like that. Nothing. Wow. Before. Good for you, Randy. I take my hat off for you for that. That is, so that's a radical rebirth right there. Oh, yeah. Most Let definitely. me ask you, where did that come from? Where did the, how did the idea come to you? Because that's what made me a reader. And being a reader is what made me a writer. But I loved, you know, Star Trek, Star Wars, all the sci-fi stuff, and, and Arthur C. Clarke, Rendezvous with Rama, and stuff like that. Ah, great, great. Uh, Dune was just, you know, and of course, uh, you know, The Hobbit and Tolkien, all of that stuff. And so I, it just kind of crystallized maybe when I was a teenager, late teens, that you know, I, I want to write a book one day. And I was a big Robert Ludlum fan, so, uh, and Travanian. And so I was thinking it would be a, you know, spy thriller. And I still might do one or 10. Um, but then I got so enamored with sci-fi that, and, and I've done nothing but nonfiction my whole life. And I just felt like maybe cause I'm in my fourth midlife crisis, some uh -huh. whatever. And, uh -huh. So I just said, that's the next thing I need to do. And so I love these, this black Irish jabs because the, you know, they're really so relevant to the fiction stuff. Let me ask you, Randy, why did you decide to do a trilogy? Well, it's like Star Wars, The Matrix, uh -huh. um, even um, uh, the Puccini Il Tritico opera. Uh-huh. Uh, it just kind of like if you want something to be a monumental challenge of your sensibilities as a writer or an artist, it seems like such a daunting, worthy goal that, I don't know, it's just pulled me to that, that idea of a trilogy. Ah, well, good, good for you. I salute you because it's, it's the kind of thing that I'm a believer that you should always do the thing that scares the hell out of you. Mm -hmm. You know, some monumental thing that you think you can't pull off. And yeah. that's, the, that's the way to stretch and the way to, to that, that really works. You know, I think you engage the gods and the goddesses when you do that. So I, I think you're smart to do that. And I, I salute you. God bless you. <laughs> yeah, I just, the, the, what I don't, you know, and I, I really, uh, when I send you this next book, uh, I think you're going to be really surprised because I, I got my 12th book is out now. The 13th is written already and it's coming out in May. And then the 14th will be out late, late 2020 or early 21. Uh, but I, this 12th book that, which has, you would never read, I would never send it to you because it's for people in the direct selling business. It's a marketing, you know, direct uh -huh. selling for uh -huh. people in that. So, um, but it was, you know, the publisher was looking for 40,000 words. 
I ended up writing 70, which was, you know, I'd never written a book, anything close to that length. Uh -huh. And yeah, that's a big book. Yeah. And my editor was like, what happened to you? What changed? How did you, this is at such a higher level. I just, and it kind of dawned on me as I was doing the final, I mean, literally my editor said, there were three times I cried in this book. Wow. And I'm not even in direct marketing. <laughs> what? what, you know, and it dawned on me after I finished it, you know what? I finally found my writer's voice. Ah. And I feel it took me 12 books to do that. Ah. And now these last, you know, the 13th one, which is coming out soon. And this one I'm on, right. I mean, I'm just, I'm channeling this 14th one. I have written ah. 30,000 words in three weeks. Wow. Uh, yeah. It's just, I'm channeling it really like uh, just, you know, downloading it from the universe. Uh -huh. And um, so I feel really confident in my writer's voice, but I've never written fiction and I never have to write dialogue. And, you know, with fiction, there's usually a lot of dialogue and, and, you know, I've, I've interwoven a few, you know, dialogue here and there in, in my nonfiction when I'm like relating a story and I have a real hard time with dialogue. And so to do a trilogy, sci-fi trilogy, epic, you know, hero's journey trilogy. I mean, I'm going to have to really learn dialogue and, and all this stuff that, you know, you have in this jab series. Well, here's my, here's my quick advice to you on that subject, Randy. This is going to go the opposite of talking about the jabs. And don't study anything. You know, don't read about, like, how to do it. Just do it. You know, just get into the flow of the story and let the characters talk. You know, don't overthink it. Uh -huh. Don't listen to anybody, including me. And do you find that... Um your characters do that for you? They drive the story? They, they just force you to they write? They will start to talk. Yeah. You know, they definitely will. And another thing that I discovered this, in The Legend of Bagger Vance is that you can write a character who's smarter than you are. Which I thought, wow. you know, how can that wow. happen? You know? Now, see, that's the tweet that I got. That's the quote that I got to put in a tweet when I promote this podcast. You can write a character who's smarter than you are. That is. Yeah. Not only a little bit smarter, but a lot smarter. And the reason of course is, as you know, like you say, you feel like you're channeling this book and, and what's happening is you, you really are. I mean, we're, we, we write everybody from the unconscious, from another dimension of reality. And that dimension, whether you call it the muse or your unconscious or whatever, is a lot smarter than you and I are in our conscious minds, you know? Mm -hmm. So if you have a, you know, a character like a Sauron or whatever, a wizard, once that you get that character up on its feet and, and he starts to talk or she starts to talk, you'll be amazed the shit that'll come out of their mouths. Mm -hmm. I love it. And thank you. Thank you for the advice. I, yeah, absolutely. I will, I will listen. Uh, you know, when, when we jumped on the uh, Zoom call with the video and I said, oh, my God, I got to ask you something, but I'm going to save it for the um, for the show was the typewriter behind you. What's uh, the what's the deal on that? 
Um, this is my old original typewriter one from when I worked back in the ad agency in New York. And at one point, probably around in the 70s or something like that, I remember, you know, this is, it's a manual typewriter. It's a royal typewriter. And it used to have the ad agency's name stenciled on the top of it. And at one point, they offered to sell them to everybody. I guess they were upgrading to electric mm -hmm. typewriters or something like that. And, you know, it cost like 12 bucks or something like that. And I've been <laughs> carrying it around with me ever since. And then I, I read somewhere, I saw something about that Tom Hanks is a crazed typewriter collector. Yeah. He has hundreds of typewriters wow. and, you know, old time typewriters. And in this article or wherever it was, it said that, you know, he sends them all to this one guy who repairs them, you know, and has all, you know, and somehow they mentioned the guy. I forgot what his name is now, but I sent mine to him mm -hmm. and he repaired it. And so it's a, you know, so I just keep it for good luck. And what, how are you writing your book right now? Just on a regular, you know, iMac, you know, like everybody else. Okay. And what about the other thing that shocked me, you know, I was trying to research a little before uh, we talked just for the stuff I might not normally pull out, even though I've known you for a long time. Uh, it shocked me at Amazon. I said, born in 1943 in um, Trinidad, I believe. How do you stay? How do you have such a extraordinarily vibrant, level of mental acuity that you that you have it's it all in the chemicals randy <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, I don't know I'm, I'm, I'm still i'm like you i'm a gym person i don't know I, but uh, the ages that we used to think were really old that i even think of as really old i find that when you get there and i'm got i'm getting there it's really not that old, you know? Mm -hmm. What's and your, so like, what's your routine you know, for, do you, I, I, well, and I know you like routines because you've talked about, uh, uh, what's her name? The dance lady from New York in her book. Twyla Tharp. Yeah, Twyla. Uh, you talk about her in a couple of your works. Um, what's like, these days, what's the routine for you? Um, it's probably a bit like yours. I get up ridiculously early. And uh, when I say ridiculously early, I mean like about 10 minutes to four. Mm -hmm. And I um, go to the gym and I, I have a couple guys that I work out with and a trainer. And, um, you know, that certainly helps. I'm really committed to that. Mm -hmm. um, what was the question again, Randy? Just the, your routine for the day that, then, oh, for the you day. know, and, and, and even also just how you kind of, access your creativity? Um, well, definitely going to the gym or doing something physical at the very start of the day is really important to me mm -hmm. because I believe that, you know, we're up against as writers or as artists, we're, when we sit down to the blank page, we're up against that force that I call resistance with a capital R that's going to try to sabotage us and try to work against us and try to talk us into, you know, sloughing off or go and have a hot fudge Sunday or whatever. So to me, going to the gym 
I'm kind of rehearsing, just like that's what Twyla Tharp says. And she starts her day, she's a choreographer, uh, starts her day at the gym. And that uh, for her, it's kind of a ritual. Um, and it is for me too, because at the gym, I'm number one, I'm doing something that I don't want to do. I'm doing something that I'm afraid of. Mm-hmm. And I'm doing something that hurts. And so to once I've done that, I've sort of acquired my friend Randy Wallace, who wrote Braveheart. He has this little theory of what he calls little successes. And through the day, he tries to, like he even considers brushing his teeth a little success. And uh-huh. so in the morning, I'm trying to build up a sequence of little successes, all aiming towards the moment when I finally actually get to get down to work, you know? So mm-hmm. I'll just, I'll finish at the gym. I'll go have breakfast. I have breakfast with the same kind of guys every day, kind of like a bunch of old guys hanging around the coffee shop. And I'll come home and, and I have an office in my home, just in a spare bedroom. And uh, I'll take care of correspondence for something. And then I'll just plunge in and work as long as I can. Not, I can't work like you do at all. I mean, I used to, at my best, I could work maybe four hours straight. Now maybe I can work three, which is a lot to me of, you know, when you're doing something on the blank page. Yeah, if you're writing that three hours is an eternity. And then, like we were just talking before, now here, you know, I'm doing this podcast with you, which is sort of falls under the heading of self-promotion, you know, or promotion of the books or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, Although it's fun talking to you, Randy. Um, and, and then, you know, when the day I'll finish maybe around three or four and, uh, I definitely have a theory that once, once I stop, I, well, I stop when I start making mistakes, when I start making typos, and, mm-hmm. you know, because I figure I've hit the point of diminishing returns and my brain has had, it, you know, and once I stop, my mentor for the day is that the office is closed and I just turn off my brain completely. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about anything and don't think about anything. I just become a normal person and kind of leave it up to the muse or to the unconscious to, to keep working overnight. Mm-hmm. And um, like Hemingway, I always try to stop in the writing when I know what's going to happen in the story tomorrow. You know, so I don't face, you know, a complete cliff, you know thousand foot cliff um, and that's pretty much my day and in the evening I'm always trying to get just some kind of input movies or books or something something that I you know expose myself to something mm-hmm. that I haven't exposed myself to before and uh, that's a day in the life actually one of the black Irish jabs that's coming up in a couple of months is called a day in the life and it's just sort of my my, uh, you know, just what you asked me, my daily routine. Mm-hmm. Great, great. I'm looking forward to that. Well, I just can't thank you enough for taking the time for this. Um, hey, thank you, Randy. It's great to be with you. You ask great questions. It's fun to talk to you. Tell people where's the best place to connect with you. And, and actually, even before that, it, so somebody who hasn't read your work, what would be the the fiction book you think they should start with and or and what would be the non-fiction book they should start with ah great question <laughs> thank you Randy. a non-fiction book would definitely be the war of art uh, which by the way people is i mean it was uh, when you 
throw out things like instant classic. There's, it, it seems like hype, but this literally, Tim Ferriss, Seth Godin, just so many luminaries, so many creative people. Uh, just, I read, read that book every time I'm writing it. Before I write a new book, I always just take out the war of art and because it's really quick read. It's, you know, you, you can read 20 pages while you're waiting in line at the ATM. You know, it's just, it's got a lot of sh short sentences with little short words. Yeah, but it's, it's just it's beyond brilliant. The internal beyond brilliant. struggle. The internal yeah. struggle of the writer or the artist, you know. And and, uh, and anybody who's an entrepreneur, it's, yes. it's exactly for you. It, it, yeah. Because the artists are entrepreneurs. And in the fiction realm, I would say read Gates of Fire, okay. which is about... Uh, the same subject as the movie 300, only it has nothing to do with 300. Um, it's uh, about the ancient Spartan culture. Yeah. All right. Great choices. Uh, where's the best place for people? The, the jabs are at blackirishbooks.com. Right. Uh, and on Twitter, he is S. Pressfield, at S. Pressfield. Oh, I'm never on Twitter, so... Yeah, that like I say, that's not a big one. It's pretty much repost of your Instagram. 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 Yeah. Um, um, but the real place to, to connect with me is uh, just at my website, which is just my name, stephenpressfield.com. All right, perfect. Any last thought you want to share with the prosperity people of the world? <laughs> I, I just want to reinforce you, Randy, in your, you know, in your decision to do this trilogy. I think it's... You know, the fact that you're just doing a book about radically changing your life, this is going to radically change your life. And I'm, I, I'm a believer that we're sort of led from book to book by the muse. And so the fact that you want to do this trilogy tells me that you're being led. And that's a very strong and wonderful thing. It's going to change your life. So I wish you all the best with it. And call me or contact me if you run into anything that I can help you with. Thank you so much, my friend. We have to have lunch, you, me, Victoria, real soon. It's a deal. All right. Thank you once again, everybody. Thanks for listening. Go out and have an amazing day, everybody. Peace. Hey, thanks for listening to the Power Prosperity Podcast. Do me a favor and practice the circulation law of prosperity and tell people about Prosperity TV. So if you would, just put something up on your Tumblr, your Twitter, your Facebook, your YouTube. Uh, let people know what you think of the Power Prosperity Podcast. Even take a screenshot of your phone and maybe post that picture uh, so we can build the community here at the podcast. Thanks, guys.